So great to be here. What an honor it is. What a treat it is to be here with you at our Urshan Leadership Conference. And uh, just so thankful. And last night, wow, what a buffet. What a treat to receive from Brother Cole Tharp and Bishop Bernard. And just uh, so great and felt uh, like my soul was fed. Well, uh, just want to challenge us today, and I uh, want to speak to where we really are. And uh, my subject that I've been given is leading in the post-pandemic world, and I, I, I kind of feel like we're still in this pandemic a little bit. I feel like we're not completely through it. There's a light at the end of the tunnel for sure, um, but I, I do feel like we are still in it. But I do think that there are things that we need to consider as we enter into this next season or this next phase of the reality of our world. And so I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Great to be with you today. And I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to learn from all of our speakers. Good to partner with my friends and good to partner with fellow brethren here. And you're in for a real, real treat. Uh, I do hope that you have some pen, paper, some notebooks, something to write on. I'd love for you to write some things down, uh, what I would call, if I'm in your place, and I've been in your place a lot, and when I go to learn, is I just put a God page. I just write on the top of a page somewhere, God page. Somewhere in this conference, God's going to speak to you personally. God's going to challenge you personally where you are. And uh, I would love for you to jot that down, and I'd love for you to wrestle with that until you have the answer or direction that you need. And so uh, I, I just encourage you to do that, and uh, we're going to learn and grow together. Uh, my subject, again, leading in the post-pandemic world. Some say this pandemic uh, is really going to shape the psychology of a generation, almost like the Great Depression or 9-11 did. It, it just changed the way that we thought. It changed the way we viewed the world. It changed the way that we viewed our own lives. And uh, someone described it as a meat grinder. It's like our, our lives have been put through a test. And I've heard that terminology a lot lately. This has been a test. Uh, how we respond, how we react, how we process, it really is a test. Uh, you're working harder in this reality than you ever worked. I know for a lot of us in the church space, it seems like we've worked twice as hard for half the results. And uh, we're working really, really hard. And we're trying really, really hard to do things right and help people as they navigate safety issues and health issues and political issues and racial issues and all the things that are befalling our world. And it just seems like you're working a lot harder. What complicates the matter is that there's just distractions everywhere. So someone put it like this. We didn't get punched in the throat. We got punched in the mind. It's like we got stunned, and, and now it's just a reactive. It's just really how, how do we get through the day. And uh, that's a reality for a lot of leaders. They're just trying to keep their head above water and, um, and, and, and just trying to process all of this new reality and new information and things that will change and things that are changing even now. We get really reduced to going through the motions. We just kind of just let life take over. It's almost like we're in the current of life. But there is a different reality because there will be leaders that thrive now and in the future. There will always be leaders that are going to survive and going to lead through, and they're going to be on the other side of this. And they're going to be the ones that develop a more robust emotional, 
intellectual and spiritual life. Uh, they're going to be leaders that thrive in this moment. Not all of them are drowning. Not all of them are thrown in the towel. Not all of them are quitting. But there will be leaders that thrive and they know and they figure things out and they learn and they're, they're, they're studying this moment. But they are going to figure this out and they're going to prevail. I, I've done a lot of just thinking and reading and, and just praying and studying, trying to let this conversation you and I have and be meaningful to you and me. Uh, this is something that I think that we need to consider, things that I think will add to our own spiritual and leadership in life and in our future. And so I, I want you to know our response as a church to this moment, our response to this really is going to shape a generation. The way you and I as a church really respond to this moment is going to shape what the church looks like tomorrow. Because no one, no one has this figured out. I don't think anyone declares they're the expert in this. Most honest leaders that are humble and realistic, they recognize the challenges are great. Sometimes they feel like they're playing over their head, and no one has this whoop. No one has this all under wraps, and no one has this all ready to roll. Lots of us are kind of learning as we go. But the reality is someone has to lead. Someone has to Show us the way. And uh, I remember a long time ago in a conference, someone made a statement. And I never forgot the statement because it was so true. And yet it was so important and yet so right. And that statement was simply this. You can only lead at the threshold of your pain. You can only lead at the threshold of your pain. At some point, the pain is going to be where you either stop, you just quit, you, you just let things be as they are, or you push through the pain. A great statement that Theodore Roosevelt, and you probably heard this, but I want to bring this into the conversation as a foundational point, it, and it's simply this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, or who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greater. That has been a statement that has been a real statement for me. Not that we have it all figured out or not that we win everything we're trying to accomplish, but that we are trying. And you're here because you're trying. You want to learn. You want to come from this conference equipped, encouraged, strengthened. You're here because you are in the arena. This matters to you. What we do now is not a matter of life or death. It's a matter of eternal life and eternal death. And it does matter how we do this and what we learn and how we make adjustments. We're in the arena. I'm in the arena with you. I understand the challenges. I understand the hardship, the heartache, the tears, I, the uncertainty. I get that. And so, but we're in the arena. And if we're in the arena, I want to just share with you a couple of things that I think will help you and I. And so what I really kind of, the term that I've used is the three V's, okay? If you want to take a note here, it's the three V's. And I'm going to unpackage these for you because I want you to get some insight of what I think 
what the post-pandemic needs. What type of leader, when we get through this, or this stretches out and we just have a new reality, what kind of leader, what kind of quality, what kind of thinking is going to shape the post-pandemic world? What, what does that church, individual, the company, entities, what does that look like? What do they possess? What do they have that is helping them navigate this time and the future? Ready? Here we go. Number one, V, is what I call vulnerability. Vulnerability. The church culture, the church world, does not really lend itself to an authentic, transparent, true humanity world. Somehow in the church space, we have to be perfect. That everything in our world has to be pristine. You didn't know this, welcome, but you're supposed to be flawless, right? There's no chinks in your armor, right? At least you don't let that be known. At least no one ever identifies that, maybe those that are closest to you. But it's all really, really under wrap. We have been curated and trained that our lives have to be pristine. That there can be no mars and scars and issues. And yet the reality, none of us are perfect. Right? He that is without sin, cast the first stone. Okay? All of us come here limping and hurting and, and, and with deficits and issues. Every one of us, if I pass the mic around, could have testified to what I am telling you is true. But somehow in our mind, we are supposed to be perfect. No defects. No issues. And that kind of leader is the leader that we've propped up. It's a straw man. They, don't not, they do not exist. They, they're not real. But yet that is the image that we hold. And that image is a weight no person can bear. And so they have that in their mindset. And, and we say, if someone knew, if they, if they really understood, if I ever shared this, they, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't accept me. They wouldn't, they wouldn't allow me. We, we have what we call impression management. I, I show you what I want you to know. I, I show you what I want you to understand about me. But if you really knew me. You, you would not think the same way. You would not feel the same way. But every day, leaders face the challenges to their identity. They face the challenge to their security. And they face the challenge to their calling. I have been in enough leadership conversations. I have been in enough roundtables and enough honest when we pull back the curtain a little bit and, and share our lives to understand that there are some real things that are true about us doesn't make us lost or sinners. What it makes us is real people. In the book, Dare to Lead, vulnerability is the emotion that we experience during times of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. It's not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up when you can't control the outcomes. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know how this all ends, but I'm going to show up and I'm going to play, and I'm going to give my heart, and I'm going to give my best, and I don't really know how it all works out, but I'm in. It's really dealing with things like dealing with loss, things that you've lost this year. Maybe it's people in your church. Maybe it's loved ones and family members, but you have lost. Maybe it's vacations, or maybe it's things that you've worked hard all your life, like a graduation or whatever. We've dealt with loss. It's, it's seeing people leaving. It's talking about difficult conversations like race and sexual issues and sometimes political issues and church issues. 
that you, 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 you guard up going into these conversations because you don't know the outcome. And you don't know if you're drawing lines or picking a fight. You don't know what you're getting into. So we, we cow down and we, we, we close up and we don't enter into that arena. It's seeing your children make decisions that you wish they would not make. It's saying, I love you first and giving your heart and putting your heart out there. It's really apologizing to someone that maybe you didn't treat right. Maybe you didn't say it right. Maybe you didn't handle that right. And being honest and going to that individual and say, I blew it. I didn't say that right. I didn't handle that right. It's waiting to get a doctor's report and wondering if the biopsy is going to be positive or negative. It's it's giving honest feedback to people that we love and want to see God's best in them. It's receiving feedback. Letting somebody honestly speak into your life and where you are and what you're battling. Because you don't always see your blind spots. This is what it means to be vulnerable. Those leaders that are going to lead and thrive in the future and now are those that are going to allow a little bit of vulnerability and a little bit of truth come out. See, here's what I'm learning in this. This is what I am learning in this process about being vulnerable, not being perfect. Is that it's okay to share weaknesses and failures appropriately. I'm going to say that again. It is okay to share weaknesses and failure appropriately. I heard John Maxwell say one time when he was uh, leading and at the height of, and again, he's such an incredible leader. He's shaped a generation and beyond. And I remember him talking about the pace of his life. And he, he he was going to a conference and he was sitting at the edge of his bed. And he asked his wife to come and pray for him. And he's saying this. And he said, I want you to pray for me. And she says, what are we praying for, John? And he says, I want you to know, he said, I'm, I'm battling lust. I'm, I'm battling lust, and, and, and it's a coming against me. And, um, and I want you to pray for me. At that moment, I didn't know a leader could actually say that they battled lust. I, I thought that was a disqualifier at the get-go. I didn't know that being honest and vulnerable was the right thing. And i got to be honest with you, those are really challenging things. They, they make all of us nervous. But you and I understand exactly what I'm saying. We battle things that are real things, things that are true that we don't want other people to know. It could be things that we do. And there are some things that, that we do here. i got to be honest with you. There, there are some times I had to delete an app because of where that app was taking me, where, where it was driving me to that I knew wasn't a good place. And I, because I'm not Superman and I don't wear a red cape, and because I still have to battle with this flesh, somebody give me an amen, because I'm living in a real world, and because I don't have it all figured out, I have to sometimes be honest and say, I can't do that. I'm not that good. I'm not that strong. I, I'm, that's not taking me to a healthy place. It's being honest and being vulnerable and sharing that appropriately and say, listen, I need you to pray with me. I need you to partner with you. Just check on me. I can't tell you that there, there are people, and I have a friend of mine that is in the business space, and he calls me up, and he says, Pastor, I want you to know something. I, I was at a, a conference, and I got proposition for a coworker to, to come to my room. And, um, and, and I did the right thing. I told them no. But I want to tell you, Pastor, that, that uh, I want to tell you that you – that, that, that I'm holding myself accountable because I don't want the enemy to get an advantage of me. Now, I want to tell you honestly, I don't think less of those individuals. They become superheroes to me. 
when we allow people to be honest and we allow people to see our real world and see what we're really going, that's how leaders are going to make it in the future. The, the greater men and women than you and I have fallen. Amen? More godly, more anointed, more spiritual men and women than you and I have blown it. That's true if you don't say amen, okay? Right? And, and they get there because they're, they're, no one is, has permission. No one has a key. No one can ask. No one can have the real conversation. And somehow in our mind, we have to hold an image that's not true. This is what I'm learning. We impress with our strength, but we connect with our weaknesses. I'm going to say that again. That's so good you need to write that down, okay? We impress with our strength, but we connect with our weaknesses. A few weeks ago, I was privileged to stand before a, a, a district leaders in a district and uh, it was, it was, they, were, they were doing a leadership conference, and they asked me to come and speak. And I got up there on one of the opening sessions, and I just said, you know, I'm a broken man. I'm a broken man. I don't want to come up here like I've got it figured out, like it's all working well, and it's a well-oiled machine, and, and there's no, 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 no chaos. I'm a broken man. I, I, I'm figuring this out. I'm trying to learn and grow, and... I'm asking God to give me grace and strength in areas I need grace and strength. After that conference, I had some ministers come to me and said, Brother Zuning, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for just saying those words that I'm a broken man. That doesn't mean I'm not valuable or that doesn't mean I don't have worth because you can still drink from a chip cup, right? Right? Give me an amen because that's an amen right there, okay? Right? And, 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 and realizing and understanding that, that it is the beauty of your humanity and the beauty of your realness that is going to connect you with people. Because I understand when we're honest and when we, we, we say, listen, they're, they're, I'm, I'm a flawed. I've got some issues. When, when there are people in your congregation, people you're leading, even you, that have come from a life of, 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 of hurt and disappointment and been wounded, and they, they've had people check out on them, and their family dynamics has been dysfunctional at best. They have people stab them in the back, and, and, and their, their world is spun upside down. And when you can say, listen, I'm flawed, but I'm here. I'm vulnerable. People gravitate to that. People want you to, they, they want to know if, if they can do it, then, then maybe there's a chance I can do it. When we put the, the goal and the model so high People get weary from the polish and the shine. They get weary from the glitz and the glamour. They get weary. But when they see your tears and they see your heartache and yet you have faith and yet you worship and yet you trust God and yet you get up again and again and keep trying, they get encouraged by the fact that you can, you can, you can actually do this. What I'm learning is people would rather follow someone that's real than one who is always right. People want to follow somebody that's real than, than that's always right. See, what we forget sometimes, the, the scripture gives us some of the great examples of what I'm talking about. The scripture actually brings to our attention for time and eternity things that, that, that we would never write ourselves. In fact, you and I would never write this, what I'm about to tell you. You and I would never write this about ourselves. And yet it is in your word for time and eternity. It's Romans 7, 19 and 20. Paul. For the good that I would do, 
I do not. But the evil which would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is not no more that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Paul would write for time and eternity that I wanted you to know there are some things that I don't want to do that I actually do. And I'm going to tell you that it's evil that's in me. You mean the great illustrious Apostle Paul? You mean the utopia leader? You mean this amazing theologian and preacher and teacher and instructor? You mean that guy would pull back the curtain and tell you, I actually had evil in me? See, the Bible has story after story of of vulnerability. It's Moses telling God, I can't speak. It's Gideon that would declare to the angel, I am the least of my father's house. You have absolutely showed up at the wrong guy's table because I am not the guy. It's Mary that just bluntly says, how can this be? How can this be? It's even Jesus saying, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. Scripture gives us a truth about being vulnerable. See, what I have understood is God uses insecure, risk-taking, pain-enduring people. God uses insecure, risk-taking, pain-enduring people. God never asked us to be perfect, but he did ask us to be honest. He did. So what I want to make the application here, and what I'd like for you to do, is really I I would like for you to write this question down. And somewhere you need to ask this question to someone that's close to you. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids. It could be a coworker, But somebody that will be honest with you. And when you ask this question, you need to prep the question by saying this. I'm not going to try to explain away. I'm not going to try to deflect. I'm not going to try to excuse. I'm not going to try to give you some rhyme or reason. I just want you to be honest with me. And the question is this. Is there any area in my life that you would like to speak into? Now, that would be a lot for some of you to do that. This whole time that you have spent here would be worth every moment if someone could honestly speak into your life without you deflecting, criticizing. Well, what about you? (laughs) Right? If you could honestly ask a question, is there an area of my life that you would like to speak into? That is a fantastic question. I'm going to give you one more exercise that you, you could do. If you want to be a little bit vulnerable, ready? Here it is. I would like for you to text 10 people, not right now, but text 10 people. And I want you to ask them, would you send me back one word that describes me? Would you send me back one word? I'm just trying to do an assessment. I'm trying to learn here. Would you, dis- would you send me back one word that describes me? You will be amazed with people that know you, that you love. Think about you. You're, 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 you're a great leader. You're, you're passionate. You, you love for God. You're going to get a lot of good words, okay? But here's what you need to ask yourself. When you get all the ten responses back, if you're like most of us, you'll get seven back. But when you get all seven back, okay, when you get all seven back, you need to ask yourself this question. What is not there that should be there? What is not there? 
Did anybody mention that my, my family? Did anybody mention my walk with God? Did any? This is discovering about yourself because leaders that are going to thrive now and in the future, those that are going to lead in the post-pandemic are those that know how to connect with people in a very, very real way. Number two V is what I call value. Value. The challenges of the future, and I'm not a futurist, and I don't consider myself, I'm a student of the church. I love the church. I think it's the greatest thing on planet earth that God left us, okay? This beautiful thing, the bride of Christ, that you and I are privileged to lead. I want you to understand, there are challenges that we are called to lead through. And when I look at the future, when I can see and read the tea leaves, so to speak, and when I begin to see these things, I can tell you some of the things that I think are real issues that we are facing. It's the dissolving of families. It's the, really the undoing of this basic unit, uh, unit of society, the family dynamic. It's really a migration from metro areas. Now that you can work anywhere and m most things are online and people now can, there, there is a migration away from metro areas. There is a collapsing moral truth that's going on. Again, Bishop Bernard did a phenomenal job walking us through how our world and culture collides. And, and it was a great tutorial. It was a great master class on that last night. But really, it's a collapsing of morals. It's the deconstruction of faith. You've seen men and women that profess to be Christians, famous Christians, if that's even a word. Famous Christians, okay? How they have now lost their faith and no longer believe in a God. Have walked away from Christianity and they, they tout this and they put it on Instagram and they, they, they tell you their rhyme and reason. And young people and leaders look at this and it, it's like shooting an arrow in our spirit because like how can somebody do that? How does somebody become an atheist? How does somebody become an agnostic? How does somebody leave faith? How do they walk away? These are real things that, that are transpiring in our world. There is a false intimacy. When, when the, the rapid pace of communication can produce a dynamic that you, you're, you think you're closer than you really are. There's a communication void. There's a lot of loneliness. These are issues. If you just jot those down, and I think they're on the screen, if, if you would jot those down and begin to say, how do I speak into this? How do I lead people through this? Because this affects our churches and young leaders and our teenagers and our wives and husbands and, and, and this leadership teams. This is really some issues there. And when I ever address these issues, I don't want to just preach what is true. What I want to preach is something that's helpful and true. I want it to be helpful. I want them to gain insight and handrails. I, I want them to be able to navigate the, the real uh, tidal wave of things that are coming against their lives, their minds, their faith, their spirit, their family. I want to equip them. So two things that we need to think. One, we can bring value to these. We may not be able to be prognosticators and tell what the stock market and what oil prices and what new uh, technology advances are going to take place. But we can speak to these areas and bring value. It's like one leader said, an apple tree doesn't eat its own apples. It always produces for the benefit of others. You and I have been given the Holy Ghost and spiritual gifts and a mind and, and a temperament and a personality and, a, and an intellect that we are here to help people navigate these things. We can actually bring value to these. People are hungry for just some insight of this. About two weeks ago, I 
got up uh, on our, to our church and so grateful for Goodlettsville Pentecostal Church. It's a marvelous church. And it's a marvelous church because of those great families and individuals that call that their church home. And, and I began to address just in a very simple way about marriages about just being healthy in our marriages and about tools and tricks and things that you need to apply into your current marriage situation. After that, I, I got texts and conversations. Pastor, man, thank you for just helping us. Thank you. There, there, is, a, there is a yearning for someone to be honest and honest conversations and honest topics and things that are relevant to our lives. These things matter. So you have to understand God, whatever God has given you, however God has blessed you, he has given that to you for the benefit of others. As leaders, we need to find places for us to bring value to people's lives. We need to find areas that we can speak into areas that bring them strength and encouragement and truth and give them the, the, what they need to navigate those uncertainties. Here's the second thing we need to think. Ready? This is probably even more important. You need to, every one of you need to digest this right here. You need to digest this idea that we are valuable. You're valuable. You are an individual that has worth and meaning and purpose. There are so many leaders that second guess and, and, they, and they question their own worth and they question their own validity. There, there's some of people here, and I, I get this all the they don't know their, their ministry fully. They don't understand all that God's doing. They love God. They want to go to heaven. They don't want to go to hell. But, but there, there's, there's a truth. They don't understand their worth. And if I could help people understand how valuable you are. See, sin wants to use you until it has no more value of you. Until you can't help sin progress. When sin is done with you, it leaves you. But that's not how God works. God takes our mess and brings value to us and makes us more valuable. It's a truth in Scripture. It's a truth throughout the Bible that that's what brings value. See, you're a billionaire. Do you know that? You're a billionaire in heartbeats. You're a billionaire in heartbeats. And your heart has a way to navigate you to things that are meaningful, bring purpose and, 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 and joy to people's lives. If you don't believe you're valuable, you can't see other people as valuable. Because you will always minister through the lens that you see yourself. But when you feel and you understand, I'm not talking about arrogance or pride or being cocky. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about truly Truly understanding the grace of God that if it wasn't for God, I'd be gone. If it wasn't for the unfailing love of God, I'd be out of here. I'd be dead. I'd be somewhere else. I'd be lost. Can I get an amen in the house? Right? I'm only here because God has been way, way too merciful for me, to me. It's God that makes us valuable. I cannot tell you how many times I've prayed this prayer. You need to hear this. I cannot tell you how many times I have said these this prayers. I'm opening up the curtain a little bit to the Lord and, and for you, okay? And it's this prayer to God. God, you are what makes me valuable. You are what makes me worthy. You are what gives me worth. You are what makes me, God, have self-esteem. and You are the one that makes me strong. If I prayed that one time, I prayed it a thousand times. 
because I don't want my worth to come from things or from people or from stuff, right? Those fade and they fade very quickly. But if I could get my value and my worth from God, can I tell you, the world can't take that away. Because the games that we get drawn into, ready? Here's this. The games that we get drawn into, if we don't get the settled, is the game of shame. Okay? The, the, the shame game is basically you're not enough. You don't have enough. You're not good enough. You're not qualified. Why are you here? Why would you be at a leadership conference? Who do you think you are? If, you're, if, if you work harder, the shame game says, if, if you were smarter, if you married someone else, if, if you had a better education, if you, if you had more of whatever, it's always trying to get you to undervalue who you are. Social research describes shame like this. Shame is the feeling that washes over us and makes us feel so flawed that we question whether we're worthy of love, belonging, or connection. We don't even know if we're worthy anymore. And that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be, on your back heels, not sure, not confident. It's taken your courage. It's taken your bravery. It's taken your strength because you always know, maybe I don't belong here. You need to settle in your spirit that I bring value to this world. I bring value to the local church. I bring value to the kingdom of God. Not because of who I am, because of what God does through me. Amen? The other game is the comparison game. The comparison game. The comparison game, it really is the thief of joy. Because you never measure up to somebody else. Because you compare the worst about yourself to the best you know about them. And when you compare the worst about yourself to the best you know about them, you and I always come up short. And so comparison is the thief of joy. You'll never be, if I was in that church, if I, was have that, if I had that job, if I was able to do that. And the comparison game literally strips you of joy. A couple of days ago, I was listening to a podcast, and it's Horace Schultz. He's the guy that used to run a hotel industry, the Ritz-Carlton and others. He is now actually leading a very high-end hotel. I mean, it's like top-end where, you know, there, there is really no check-in time or no check-out time. They, they really curate to you. It's like whatever you want, they're going to figure it out. Uh, it, it's the Compella industry is what he's leading. To give you an example of what that is, a couple of years ago when President Trump and uh, uh, Kim Jong-un in North Korea met, they met, I think, uh, in... Uh, I don't know exactly where, they, but the, the hotel they met at was the Capella Hotel. That hotel is the hotel this gentleman leads. And he was talking about how they train up people to serve with such honor and such joy. And, and, and the thing that he got pushed back on is that when we serve people, we become servants, right? That, that you're just a servant, so don't view yourself of anything value. Don't, don't look at yourself of anything special. You're a servant. So, so don't, don't bring joy to the job. Don't bring excellence. Don't, don't bring a passion to it because you're a servant. And, 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 and he began to struggle against us as he's creating culture in these fine, high-end industry until he came upon a statement that he began to use for a long, long time, and he still uses it. And he said these words. He said, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen unless you sentence yourself to be less. When he said those words, unless you sentence yourself to be less, 
I thought, wow, how many of us sentence ourselves to be less than what God has called us to be? We don't like who we are. We don't like we're too tall, too short, too fat, too skinny, too this, too that, right? And we are constantly, constantly taking away our value. We have sentenced ourselves to be less. Those leaders, those leaders that are going to thrive now and thrive in the future, whatever happens in the future, I'm going to tell you, those leaders understand I bring value to areas and people's lives that matter the most. So for you to understand the three Bs, it's being vulnerable, it's value, and the last one is what I call victory. Do you realize in heaven you will never have to overcome anything? Right? In heaven, you will never have to get victory over anything. When you're in heaven, by the way, if you don't know, you won, okay? <laughs> right? There, there, there's no devil to defeat in heaven. I mean, that's true theology right there. I can get an amen about that, okay? Right? Okay? There's nothing to win over in heaven. You won, okay? So the place for victory is here, right? Does that make sense, okay? The, the place to bring victory, so for, for the mindset, we need an understanding that we need to show people how to get victory in areas of their life. See, just so you'll know, the church wins. At the end of the day, no matter how the cookie crumbles, the church always is going to win. Now, when Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He was telling us the global church always wins. Now, your local church may not survive, okay? But the global, there will always be a group of people that are gathering, that believe this message, that are going to heaven when the rapture takes place. There will always be that kind of church here on this earth until the rapture takes place. There will always be. But I want you to understand, you're a part of something that doesn't lose. Victory is in our DNA. Like someone preached a while ago, see, the Holy Ghost inside of you doesn't know how to lay down and die. It only knows how to get up and live. Right? That, I mean, somebody needs to run an eye on that because that's pretty good right there, okay? Right? The Holy Ghost inside of you only knows how to get up and live. It's resurrection power. It's not lay down and die power. Right? That's, that's, that's your scripture. And so, and, and for us to understand, people are losing the idea of what victory looks like. They, they have now contorted and twisted up ideas of, of, of what victory looks like. So, here are three things that I want to share with you that I, I think we need to help people get victory in their life, okay? If we're going to show people what victory looks like, in these areas, I think it's so crucial. Number one area we need to help people get victory in is doctrine, okay? Here's why I say that. Feelings are leading doctrine right now. Can I say that again? Feelings are leading doctrine right now. If it feels right, if it's just culturally accepted, if everyone agrees, then it must be the right thing. And so feeling now leads doctrine. I, if I feel like I'm gay or if I feel like I can have an affair, if I feel like I can do this, then it, that must be. A, feelings are leading doctrines in a lot of areas of our life. Paul would write to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.16, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them and continue in them. Continue in them. 
For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. This idea and understanding is so powerful and so true that, that our job, and Bishop did a masterful job really helping us navigate people's questions about Scripture and God, theology, and how to do that. And if there was a way for you to listen to last night and just recap, there was so much spread out and so much available there. But this area of God's Word, and I, I want to tell you that, that, that it, it, if you don't have a relationship with this book, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Okay? I, I cannot help people that are not looking for the biblical answer to their problems. Right? It, 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 my fleshly works and flesh, fleshly manners are not going to answer the deep, real needs of people's lives. The area that we need to help people navigate is doctrine, especially when there's all these different religions and faith and all these different opinions about God. I want you to understand, I'm grateful for the revelation of the one God in Christ. I'm thankful for this Acts 2.38 message, okay? I'm just telling you, and it'll get deeper here today, but I'm telling you those things are truths and things that we anchor to that, 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 that guide us through these moments. Number two thing I think we need to help people navigate is that, the, an area of identity. Rebellion's most dangerous, infectious form is redefinition. Rebellion's most dangerous, infectious form is redefinition. Redefining what marriage is, what life is, what sexuality is, what faith is, what God is, what identity is. There, there, is a, there is a whole mantra and a whole mindset of trying to redefine what these sacred things are in our society, in our world. Um, a few few months ago in COVID, I was preaching a man's funeral in our church. And, uh, and this man was a longtime member, one of the oldest members of our church, a long, long history in our church. And uh, had a lot of family, and, and, and so it was a pretty, pretty good-sized funeral. And uh, I preached the funeral. I was walking out of the funeral. I was headed to my car to, to leave, and uh, one of the granddaughters came to me. And um, she stopped me and she said, I want to thank you for preaching my grandfather's funeral. She said, I want you to know for years, my grandfather and I have had a very difficult, strenuous relationship. Because I have a son that is gay and, and my grandfather would always tell me, I'm going to pray that God helps and fixes and straightens him out. And I'm, I'm praying that God kills him. And I'm telling you, she looked at me in my eyes with daggers. I'm telling you, it was like she was trying to stare in my soul. And she looked at me and she said, I want you to know my son doesn't need fixing. He's not broke. I knew at that very moment, I knew there had been a lot of pain. And there had been a lot of struggle. And there had been a lot of issues there. And I gracefully tried to let her know, thank you for sharing that. I understand there is a lot of pain there, okay? I, I recognize there's a lot of issues. The problem is that I can't change this, okay? As I tell people, I cannot change this to make people feel better. And I can't change this to become popular or to be whatever you need me to be. My obligation, and, and, and again, there's a right way of doing this. I, I, can, I can destroy and beat people up with this, or I can lovingly lead them to a relationship with God and let God's word and his spirit begin to work on them. 
But the problem is now that we, we seem like we have to kind of kind of go back and forth and be a little bit wishy-washy with areas that are sacred and holy. The Bible tells us there will be a day that they forget what the holy, the difference is between the holy and the profane. That they, they won't know right from wrong, good from evil. That they will be blinded by the reality. And in our world, in our world, I think it's so important that we let people know who they are. And I'm not just talking about their gender. I'm not just talking about male or female. I'm talking about who they are in Jesus Christ. The last thing. I think we need to help people get victory is eternity. We have become experts in temporal areas and novices in the eternal area. We, we, we become wise at sin, but we're infants at the eternal. And yet, at the end of this life, in this brief life, there is an eternal reality forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So don't ever underestimate the value of eternal significance of temporal things. But what do you mean, brothers? It matters that we teach people how what they do today tethers to eternity. You reading your Bible today strengthens your eternal destination. You praying today, you, you being faithful to the house of God, you, you evangelizing, you, you living out your gifts, you obeying what God's called you to do helps you tether yourself, or as Paul tells Timothy, lay hold on eternity. Get a grip of it, because that's real. Even this morning, before I got out of the car in the parking lot to come here, I was on the phone with a man whose mother probably has just very few, she'll die today while you and I are here. He's calling, he said, Pastor, I just want you to know where they called us in. The last thing I did before I got out of the car, I said, we're going to pray. And I begin to pray over that family as they're watching a loved one go from time into eternity. At that moment, what else matters? I, I fear that we're losing the eternal conviction of letting people know there's a real destiny and there's a real consequence at the end of this. My prayer is by the time you walk away from here, the weight of eternity would be on your spirit again. Because it's not a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternal life and eternity. Where I think we need to help people now in the future. Whatever that future looks like in the post-pandemic world, there is a true eternal destiny for every one of us. What I'm praying today and what I challenge you is that God, I need to apply this. What does that mean to be vulnerable? What does that mean to understand value? And how do I bring victory into people's world? I'm going to pray for you here in a moment, and then we're going to have an exercise here. But I'm going to ask you to stand. And in a moment, I'm going to give you some instructions of what I'm asking you to do. I don't know which one of these speaks into your world right now. I don't know where you are, but I'm not dealing with you and tomorrow. I'm dealing with you here at this Urshan Leadership Conference, what you are facing and being challenged with right now. This is you. This is you and God. 
And I'm asking you to pray over yourself and over your own soul and your own thinking. I'm asking for you to allow God's spirit to begin to challenge you. What is it, God? Is it being vulnerable a little bit more? Is it understanding the value? Do I need to get a grip of eternity again? Would you bow your head and would you just begin to pray with me? Lord Jesus, I want to honor everyone that's here, God. These brave men and women that have come, God, and have gathered for the next God while they come hungry to learn, to receive, God, to be in an impartation into their hearts. So today, God, as we, God, study and learn and God, listen and grow together, I pray the Holy Ghost, the anointing of God, will begin to challenge every person and none, God, goes without being touched. No one goes without being affected. God, there's not someone here, God, that does not bring value and meaning. God does not have a calling of God. God, every person here, Lord, you are working on. They have a next step. You are trying to get them to another step, another place, God. So this day, I pray, God, for you, Lord, God, to grab our spirits and to grip our hearts. And, God, I pray to you, Lord, lead and direct us, God, where we need you, where, what area we need your presence, what area do we need you to lead us and direct us through, God. And I give you all the praise and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And can everyone say amen?